The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're taking you all the way up to Iceland. Yes, that's right, Iceland. We're going to talk to the founder and CEO of Atlas Primer, Henrik Atlason. And he is going to tell us all about this revolutionary thing he's got going on. Henrik, welcome. Oh, thank you, Haki. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. I tell you what, you're really on the cutting edge of things up here. Why don't you introduce yourself properly to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Henrik. I'm, as you said, the founder of Atlas Primer. Uh, we are an educational app uh, that uh, specializes in creating flexibility in the educational system for students who are neurodivergent. We do that through, um, among others, AI, but also just through uh, rigorous product testing and close communication with, uh, with our users, just to find the things that work best for them and make sure that we're really delivering value. So you're trying to level the playing field for those of us whose brains are different, whatever our labels might be, dyslexia, autism, you name it. Yeah, I, I th that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's an accurate way of, of putting it. Uh, you can say that uh, we fundamentally believe that um, um, the disadvantage um, uh, people who are neurodivergent have in the educational system is not because they are neurodivergent, but it's the lack of flexibility in the educational system. So by, by celebrating our diversities and differences and looking at neurodiversity more as um, um, just the diversity that it is, that we all think differently, we process information differently, we can create more flexibility that allows more people to reach their full potential. And it would seem so logical to do so. You know, every brain is different. And if I have a blind student, why am I going to write on the blackboard? It's not going to do them any good. What do you see as the main roadblock to schools creating inclusive learning environments? Um, I would say that, first of all, I think that, you know, the vast majority of people involved they genuinely want to be helpful. I think they just don't really know how to be helpful. And I believe that there is a certain survivor bias in the educational system, which means that if people go through the educational system, which today is just based on reading, writing, sitting still all day and being tested you know, uh, to an obscene amount, uh, then you might consider, you know, if, if you go through that system with relative ease, you might consider a career in that system. But if you go through that system and you're bumping your head into every obstacle along the way, you just want to get out and never look back. So that kind of enforces the belief that there is this one normal way of learning and that everyone that doesn't, you know, fit into that small box, they're different or they have a learning disability. And uh, that is that is what I think is the biggest roadblock: not knowing how to how to how to how to help, how to fix this. Now you're a worldly man. You travel all around the world. 
You've been working in the neurodiverse space and, and traveled around. How would you say neurodiversity acceptance and inclusion is doing around the world? I would say that it's getting better, for sure, but uh, we're not quite there yet. Um, I kind of see neurodiversity, uh, the, the state of neurodiversity today um, reminds me, and, and this is not a scientific fact, it's just my, my impression, uh, reminds me a little bit of how we've dealt with uh, things that, you know, that, that we didn't understand, uh, you know, before. Uh, for example, um, we didn't understand the, the diversity of sexual orientation. So we tried to cure it. You know, we, women weren't allowed to vote for a, for a, for a long time. But, uh, you know, th th there, there are these things where we, we, we don't understand what we're dealing with. And we, we label it um, with some kind of deficiency and we try to fix it instead of looking at it as the diversity that it is and that it can actually be beneficial to our societies if we can harness it correctly. Um, I, I want to, I think one of the things that made the most impact on me in the recent years is, um, is a study made by the Boston Consulting Group on the economic impact of dyslexia on the state of California. They found that out of um, um, you know that, that about forty nine percent of the state's homeless had dyslexia, and that is just staggering, given that the general prevalence is about ten percent in the in the general population. Um, among the incarcerated, um, about forty eight percent had dyslexia, and it's not. I believe because they are, you know, that uh, you know that they are, you know, more disposed to to end up in these uh, unfortunate situations. But we just we're not supporting them. We're not giving them what they need to to live a full life, to to reach their full potential, to do what they what they want to do. Now, suppose I'm a school administrator. I'm watching this video, and I'm wondering. How do I rethink my approach to addressing learning differences? What would you tell me? What would you tell them, these school administrators? I would uh, I would say add flexibility, because I I, I don't believe that there is um, I don't believe that this is a hard problem to solve once we really appreciate what it is that actually has to be solved and how we solve it. I would say just add flexibility, add audio so that more people can listen, um, add uh, more uh, flexibility in the, um, you know, in, the, in the learning environment so more people can move around. Um, some people just think better and process information better when they're walking around. Um, add uh, more conversations so that people can explore topics on their own premise so that people can piece information together in a way that works for them. That's a segue into Atlas Primer. Tell us about tell us about how that can help. Well, it it implements what we call these three pillars of flexibility, and I touched upon them. One of them is audio. Um, a lot of people struggle with reading comprehension. It's not a learning disability. It's a it's a it's a it's a reading problem. Um, so that can be fixed just by 
you know, increasing the way of audio everywhere around us, allowing people to consume text as audio. That's not that's not hard, really. And uh, the second part is just mobility. Um, a lot of people have a hard time concentrating while sitting still. So they need to be able to take the learning environment with them into everyday activities and learn wherever they find themselves. Um, the third part is just having it conversational. And this is something that just recently became um, a real option, uh, given all the advances in AI, because then that allows people to to take complicated subjects, break them down and explore them in a way that works for them, to piece this information together and just ask questions when there's something that they don't understand. And having all these things together uh, creates the flexibility that uh, that um, uh, helps more people uh, reach their goals. And this is what we're doing at Atlas Primer. How did you get into it? Well, I've been I've been making AI stuff uh, for a long time. Uh, I was uh, I'm I may I've been making AI applications for about 17 years. And um, in 2006, for example, I made a voice assistant for Windows, which was surprisingly good, actually. Um, and uh, I love the voice interface. The voice interface has just so little friction, and it allows us to, uh, you know, interact with with uh, computers all around us, you know, no matter what we're doing almost. And uh, then, um, you know, I, I, I was creating um, uh, learning material of my own. Uh, my career in AI led me to, to, uh, to, um, um, to be approached by a local university. They asked me if I wanted to bring some of my experience into the classroom. And I thought that was a great way to give back and for me to... Um, understand better what the next generation is thinking and what's what's important to them. And I actually thought, and this was very naive of me, but I actually thought that coming back to the classroom after all these years, I would be entering something that would be, you know, borderline futuristic. We had all this wonderful technology. So it must be amazing to be a student today, I thought. But when I arrived, I found the opposite. The, the misalignment between the educational system and the students had actually gotten worse. And I think it's because now we had all this wonderful technology and flexibility and you know, on-demand services and nonlinear programming all around us, except in the educational system. So that just amplified the friction. So I thought, what if we can combine the, you know, my passion with which are voice assistants with, for example, audio, which is just very convenient. You can consume information on the go. Um, you, you become a more productive reader, although that sounds like a contradiction. Um, and uh, it reduces stress and other things because you can consume more. And then I thought, how can we apply that to learning? And I deployed that in one of my courses and the students loved it. Uh, but the students who were neurodivergent, they said it was a game changer. For them, it was a complete revolution. And that's when I started thinking more about how we can apply um, you know, just these added degrees of flexibility to a group of students that is just being terribly neglected um, in the educational system uh, that we have today. And I, 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 there's neurodiversity in my family, but I was one of the 
people that actually believed that this was a learning disability and didn't think twice about it. But then when I started diving deeper, peeling off one layer after another, I just found that it's it's a horrible thing to tell young and bright and promising people that they have a disability in learning when all that's lacking is just a little bit of flexibility in their environment. How can people learn more about you and about Atlas Primer and all of that? Where do they go? How do they find out? Well, I think the the best way, uh, the most valuable for you know um, way for us is just if people visit the website, uh, try the app, and then give us feedback. There is um, there there is a fallacy in the educational system that it assumes that everyone is the same and one size fits all works, but you know, we're not repeating that fallacy, uh, but it's hard to design for um, neurodiversity because that is here we have a lot of spectrums that are sometimes overlapping. And um, I don't believe any two neurodivergent people are neurodivergent in the same way. So what we do is we just add these degrees of flexibility and allow people to piece them together in a way that works for them. So all kinds of Product feedback is is tremendously valuable for us, and these are the these are the the conversations I, I enjoy the most with our users. So it's kind of the fallacy of universal design, and yet we're trying to make an app that gives all the options, no matter how your brain is different, so that you can learn, you can function. Yeah, I, I think. I think it just comes back to a, you know it's it, there is um there is an area of the interface design called inclusive design and it just means bringing more options to the table you're you're not you're not going to make something that fits everyone but at least you can bring more options icons audio p- things that people can interact with and and uh, you know they don't have to be a specific way for this to work for them. They can be many different ways and still gonna work for them because someone took the time to think about inclusivity and appreciate it that we're all different. You know, I'm just thinking in my mind when they passed laws for disability, the Americans with Disability Act and things like that, and and uh, I'm thinking about something as simple as making all doorways wide enough for wheelchairs, kind of thing. Um, What that did for everybody in a wheelchair all across the nation. Um, This is almost a reverse. When I say reverse, it's the wrong word. But what I mean is, We're not thinking so much about universal design as much as we're thinking about inclusiveness. We're thinking inclusiveness. So if someone has autism or someone has dyslexia, then they can be presented in such a way that their brain can take it in and they can be successful. Yeah, and, um, you know, I've I've studied a lot of... um, forums on related to neurodiversity and it seems to me that probably about 80 percent of the posts there um, are mostly from people just looking for support 
looking for someone that understands them, that can that can help them, um, tell them that they are not deficient, that it's okay. There are ways for them to to you know um, uh, to do what they want to do, and that is a very important element in in Atlas Primer. You mentioned the doors. Most people wouldn't notice a wider door, but a person in a wheelchair would. And the same is true with on-ramps, you know, instead of staircases. If, if you can design a beautiful on-ramp, nobody's going to notice it except the persons that, you know, the, the people that would be severely, um, inf- you know, affected if it weren't there. Um, and this is a design principle that we take with us to Atlas Primer because we do not, we are not making assistive technology. Assistive technology implies that there is something wrong with the user, that the user is deficient, and we fundamentally disagree with that. We are just making a more flexible way of learning, and that should work for neurodivergent people and neurotypical people. It's not just about inclusiveness, but it's also about productivity. Audio is a huge productivity enabler. And being able to consume learning material when you're driving to and from school or cooking at home, that unlocks a lot of productivity. So we are, we, although we are designing this with inclusivity in mind and specifically towards neurodiversity, we are also designing this for everyone else because the ultimate goal is that the neurotypical and neurodivergent students can study together without anyone feeling disabled. That's very well said. Very well said. Um, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to cover? I think there is a lot of there are a lot of reasons um, to be optimistic. In particular, with the latest advances in AI, um, it it allows us to do things completely differently. And I, I just want to encourage people not to. Um, you know, these are new. This is a new technology, and that can be scary. And uh, the immediate response can sometimes be to ban it and you know outlaw it. I would encourage people to instead embrace it. See how we can use that for um, the benefit of people. If 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 teachers are afraid of an AI um, um, doing the assignments and passing the exams. Maybe they need to rethink the assignments and the exams, you know. And that's uh, that's coming from my perspective as a, as a university instructor as well. If, if 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 an AI could pass my exams, then I would have to rethink my exams. Maybe they just weren't good enough. Well, Henrik Atlason, all the way up in Iceland, and the name of the app is the Atlas Primer. And what's the website people can go to? Well, it's just the atlasprimer.com. Uh, we're also in the uh, in the um, uh, Google Play Store and Apple App Store, just under Audio Learning AI Assistant. That's great. Well, we hope you'll have time to come back again to Different Brains, and it's been a pleasure to have you. Good luck with everything up there in uh, Iceland and with uh, Atlas Primer. Um, and Henrik... Pleasure to have you. Hope you'll come back soon. Thank you very much. Thank you, Aki. It's been a pleasure.
Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.